Flair said something funny and true recently. We were talking with my brother and his wife, and we were discussing the sad phenomena of people that we knew, different areas and avenues of life, that had been married for decades, and their marriage ended in divorce. And we were just commenting how sad that was. People have been married that long, uh, throwing in the towel. And I shared a quote that I'd heard from Lou Holtz a long time ago. The quote goes something like this. Don't tell me how rocky the sea is, just bring the boat in. And I shared that quote in reference to marriage. You've been married for decades. Don't tell me how rocky the sea is. Just, just, just make it home. Make sure the boat gets in safely. And Claire added to that quote, that's right, but make sure the boat is the love boat. Now what she meant by that is this. Marriage is not simply a thing to be endured Marriage is meant to be enjoyed. It's not just a, a matter of, of fortitude. Marriage should be fun. It should be enjoyed. Over in Proverbs 5, we see the admonition that I shared earlier in this series that men are to rejoice in the wife of their youth. And that leads us to the final word that I want to give you in this sermon series, four words for your marriage. We've talked together about covenant, and we've discussed the word unconditional. Last week, we, we dealt with the issue of forgiveness. Today, I want to talk to you about romance. Romance. That's the fourth word for your marriage. And we will begin in Song of Solomon, Old Testament book Song of Solomon, right after the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to begin in chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 6. Now, we'll be all, all around Song of Solomon during this sermon, so just keep your Bibles open and get ready to flip here and there. But we'll start in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. And we're going to start with these verses, and then after I share some, some thoughts with you. We're going to end with these verses. I'm going to show you how these verses come full circle. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Just a quick heads up. Next week, we will begin a sermon series uh, for Christmas titled, His Name Shall Be Called. We're going to look at Isaiah 9, at the different titles of Christ in that chapter, really excited about that, so uh, make sure you're here throughout December as we celebrate uh, the glory of Christ. And then in the new year, in January, we're going to talk about some habits of grace, developing habits of holiness in your life, spiritual disciplines. We're going to talk about that a little bit in January. And then in February, Lord willing, we will begin a study through the book of Galatians, uh, New Testament books. So I'm, I'm thrilled about all of that, so just wanted to give you a heads up that we were headed somewhere. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. The Bible says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, 
as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are grateful, Lord, for another opportunity to gather and worship your great name. And we are excited, Lord, about this time that as a faith family, we, Lord, we come to this time of studying your word. We come with expectancy, Lord. We expect you to speak into our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word applied to our hearts by your spirit to transform us further into the image of Jesus. Help us to celebrate Christ and his finished work today, the, the glories of the gospel. And help us to understand, Lord, these principles and how they apply to our marriages. Lord, have your way in our midst. And we'll thank you, Lord, for that grace. We lift up this prayer to you in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The Song of Solomon is an interesting book. It is a book about married love. It is a book that has some very interesting verses because it is about romantic love between a man and a woman that begins in courtship and then leads to uh, their marriage. And we see romance before the marriage and romance after the marriage. You need to understand there are some verses in here that are quite... um, explicit in terms of the the intimacy enjoyed between a man and a woman. It's not anything that's inappropriate. It's well done. It's tastefully done. It's poetic. But it is striking to see some of the imagery that's used in this, this book to talk about married love between a man and a woman. In fact, uh, in ancient times, uh, young men weren't even allowed to read this book uh, in, until they were married, and their parents would give them this book in a very bound, beautiful copy for the husband and wife to enjoy. And so that's just an interesting uh, anecdote about this uh, book. Now, it was written by Solomon. It says it there in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. But I don't believe it's about Solomon's love life. As a matter of fact, Solomon's love life was a train wreck. Uh, he had what, 700 wives, 300 concubines, we see that in 1 Kings 11, they led him astray into idol worship. Uh, He is not a model for how to love. Uh, This is a song written by Solomon about a young couple, and he's celebrating their married love. And I read an interesting theory about when Solomon wrote this psalm. There's a medieval Jewish scholar named Rashi, uh, and Solomon... uh, uh, he, Rashi said that Solomon wrote this song not in his youth but in his old age. Uh, this, uh, this medieval scholar said that he wrote this book as an act of contrition as if to say, don't do romance the way that I did it. The way that I did it is bankrupt. It doesn't satisfy. It's, it's vanity. It is empty. And, and he wrote this book to show us this is the way that married love should look. Monogamous Love between a man and a woman, passionate, faithful, 
pure. And I think that's an interesting theory that perhaps as Solomon is reflecting upon his romantic failures, his marriage failures, his, his, his love life gone wrong, terribly wrong, he wrote this book as a way to say, this is what married love should look like. The scholar Douglas O'Donnell writes this. This song asks the Christian couple, how's your love life? Is your wedding bed dead or alive? Is it as cold as a frozen pond in February or as hot as the Florida sand in August? You see, reading, studying, listening to, and feeling the song of songs is like attending a wedding and witnessing the ripeness and rightness of young love. The song is God's provision to sustain loving marriages and renew loveless ones. And so that gives us an insight into how this, this, this poem applies to us as married couples. Now, before I get into this discussion on the word romance, I want to give you a couple of foundational statements. These are in your notes, and these are very important if we're going to get this idea of romance. Number one, marriage is a gift from God that's meant to be enjoyed. Can I get an amen? I've already said that. The amens were weak earlier, so I'm going to say it again. Uh, marriage is a gift from God that is meant to be enjoyed. And romance, listen, is the celebration and cultivation of love between a husband and a wife. Romance is the celebration and cultivation of love between a husband and a wife. That's why we need to talk about romance, because we're celebrating the love that a man and woman have for each other in the, the bonds of matrimony, and we're also talking about how we can cultivate that romance so our marriages can be stronger and better. And so I want to answer this question. How can you and I cultivate romance in our marriages? What does this look like? I'm going to give you five truths uh, that come from Song of Solomon that help us to understand what it looks like to cultivate romance in our marriages. Marriages. Hey, you need to understand there are no marriage experts in this room, starting with your pastor. All right. So I'm I'm talking to Wade this morning too. I'm I'm trying to learn from this 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 uh, these scriptures this morning, so I can celebrate and cultivate marriage uh, romance in my own marriage. So how do we cultivate romance in our marriages? And this is going to be fun. All right, because marriage ought to be enjoyed. Right. It ought to be in. It ought to be. Uh, rejoiced in. And so here's the first way that we cultivate romance in our marriages. We should highlight the attractiveness of our spouse. We should highlight the attractiveness of our spouse. I got one amen. That's good. We should highlight the attractiveness of our spouse. Look what it says. And again, there are many verses we can look at. We're going to look at just selected verses uh, through the Song of Solomon. Uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, the Bible says, this is the man speaking. If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, uh, keep in mind, these are ancient compliments, all right? And so you may not want to use the mare compliment. You may not want to put that into your arsenal, men. Uh, this, but in, in ancient times, this, this meant something, all right? To a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Fast forward to verse 15. This is the man speaking. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Look at the woman's response in verse 16. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. 
our couch is green, the beams of our house are cedar, our rafters are pine. So she, they're celebrating each other's physical attractiveness. They find their spouse attractive. Look what it says uh, in chapter 4. Again, the man speaking. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Here's another ancient compliment. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Leaping down the slopes of Gilead, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, not one among them that has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, your mouth is lovely, your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. This is the the courtship leading up to their marriage, and so they are celebrating the attractiveness of their spouse. And, And then finally... Uh, in verse 7, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There's no flaw in you. So the man and the woman here that are cultivating romance have no problem telling each other how beautiful they are, how attractive they find them. And that ought to happen in our marriages where we are uh, rejoicing in the gift that God has given us, rejoicing in the, the attractiveness of our spouse. And if we will delight in the attractiveness of our spouse, perhaps we won't be looking at the attractiveness of others who are not our spouses. Amen? That's an entirely different sermon, which we will maybe touch on that one day. But we, we, we certainly need to highlight the attractiveness of our spouse. Secondly, how do we cultivate romance in our marriages? We should maintain physical displays of affection. Physical displays of affection. Look in chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2. The woman says it. She just comes out and says it. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. See, I want him to kiss me. And then look over in chapter 2, verse 6. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. So he's holding her. Chapter 8, verse 3, the same statement is used. And so we see here this celebration, this cultivation of physical displays of affection, this idea that we need to show each other through our our physical uh, uh, lives that we care about each other. And this, of course, has all sorts of of applications for us it it involves you know holding hands and hugging and 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 spending time together and sitting by each other and and all of these things we should maintain physical displays of affection you know my uh my wife enjoys it when we sit together on the couch i mean she likes that and and uh sometimes i enjoy just kicking back in my recliner and, uh, and, and so uh, I've, I've had to learn that my wife enjoys just being by each other, just, just, just being there beside each other. And, and, and I enjoy it too. And, but I've got to discipline myself to say, hey, you know, I need to make sure, even though we've been married for almost 20 years this summer, praise the Lord, that, that I still need to make sure that she understands physically that I love her. And, and I, I want to be around her and I want us to hold hands and, 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 and touch and be there together. So we should maintain Physical displays of affection. We see here this romance boiling over. It's passionate. And, and they want that, that physical affection. Third, we should spend time together. We should spend time together. Chapter 2, verse 4. He brought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me was love. He brought me into a place to feast and to eat and 
to spend time with his beloved. Again, this is, I believe, leading up to the marriage. And, and, and this man wanted to spend time with his wife. We should spend time together. And here's a, a quick hint, guys. Spending time together probably means something different to your wife than it does to you. See, my wife doesn't understand just how good I am at multitasking. I can absolutely talk to her and watch sports at the same time and be engaged in the conversation and know what she's saying and understand what she's saying. But from her perspective, it doesn't feel like we're spending time together, right? In fact, I read a book years ago that helped me with this. It's called The Five Love Languages. Anybody read The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman? Very practical book. And his point of that book is that uh, we need to make sure our spouse's love tank is full. And by, we do that by speaking their language. And he identifies in the book five love languages. Uh, the first one is words of affirmation, where someone feels loved when they're told how great they are and, and they're affirmed. Uh, the second is um, uh, quality time. The person feels loved when they spend time with their spouse. The third is physical touch, which, you know, people, some people are touchy-feely and they feel loved when they are, when they are touching their spouse. Uh, the fourth is gifts. People, some people feel loved when they get happies all the time. And the fifth is uh, acts of service, that people feel loved when their spouse is serving them in a certain way. And the point of the book is this. We often speak to our spouse in the language we like to be spoken to. And, and if that's not our spouse's language, then they're not feeling love. For example, my love language is words of affirmation. I feel loved when you tell me how great I am. And by the way, that, a lot of guys score high on that one, all right? Just tell us how good we are, right? Tell us how great we are. Words of affirmation. So because that's my love language, I assume that's Claire's love language. But see, Claire's love language is quality time. And I can tell her, Claire, you're great. I love you. I love you. I love you. You're awesome. You're great. And if I'm, I'm using all these words of affirmation, but we're not spending quality time together, she doesn't feel love. See how that works? Because I'm not speaking her language. And, and, and this, this, this point speaks of, of quality time, time together, you know, kind of eyeball-to-eyeball time, talking, discussing, spending that time together free from distraction. So we should spend time together. Number four, and this comes back to words of affirmation, we should speak lovingly to each other. We should speak lovingly to each other. Look in chapter 2, verse 8. The woman speaking of her groom, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks. Notice that. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is gone and uh, over and gone, and so he's he's speaking to his wife, and he's speaking loving words, uh, or to the one who would be his wife. He's speaking lovingly to her. Now, notice there in verse ten, he calls her my beloved. Uh, or she calls him my beloved. Verse nine, my beloved. Verse eight, she calls him my beloved. The bride calls the groom beloved more than twenty times in this book, and the groom calls her often through the book my. Love. So my beloved, my love. And they're, they're talking back and forth, speaking lovingly to each other. The Old Testament scholar Dwayne Garrett writes this, Note that the lovers speak to uh, and of each other frequently and in great detail. 
They relish their pleasure in each other, not only with physical action, but with carefully composed words. Love is, above all, a matter of the mind and heart and should be declared. Let me read that again. Love is, above all, a matter of the mind and heart and should be declared. The lesson for the reader is that he or she needs to speak often and openly of his or her joy in the beloved, the spouse. Now listen to this next sentence. Many homes would be happier if men and women would simply speak of their love for one another a little more often. You heard the story of the elderly gentleman that was asked why he never told his wife that he loved her. Never said those words to her. Why don't you ever tell your wife you love her? And the man's response was, well, I told her on our wedding day, and if it ever changes, I'll let her know. In other words, she ought to know I love her. I don't have to tell her I love her. She ought to know it, right? Why do I have to keep on saying it? It's good to be told that you're loved. Amen? Even if you know it. It's, it's good to hear it. There's something soothing in our soul when the one who we have committed our life to is telling us we are loved. Many homes would be happier if men and women would simply speak of their love for one another a little more often. So do you speak lovingly to each other? Do you have, you know, pet names for each other? I would share some of those, but it would embarrass my kids. I'm not going to do that. But do you speak lovingly to each other? That is so very important. And this leads to the fifth truth. And these are just basic, basic truths of romance that, that speak of how we cultivate romance. We, we need to highlight the attractiveness of our spouse. We should maintain physical displays of affection. We should spend time together. We should speak lovingly to each other. But fifth, we should watch out for foxes. Say, what in the world that got to do with anything? Well, look with me in chapter 2, verse 15. A very interesting verse. In the middle of all this love talk, there's a really interesting verse. Look what it says. This is the bride speaking. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, I am his. Catch the foxes for us. What in the world does that mean? In reference to the vineyards mentioned there in that verse. Well, in chapter 1, verse 7, you can look at it. Uh, we're told that the, uh, the or verse 6, we're told that the woman was a keeper of vineyards. A keeper of vineyards. One of her jobs as a keeper of the vineyards would have been to guard the vineyard from foxes desiring to eat the grapes when they were ripe. So when the grapes were ripe and ready to be harvested, you have to watch out for foxes, wild foxes that would come in and eat all the grapes, right? So as a keeper of the vineyard, you would keep the foxes away from partaking of the fruit. And so when he says here in verse 15, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, the vineyard there is a picture of their love for each other. And he's saying, keep the foxes away that would spoil our love, that spoil our romance. The ESV study Bible says the foxes represent some hindrances that are threatening to spoil their relationship. 
So if we're going to cultivate romance, we've got to be aware there are some foxes out there that if, we don't, if we're not on guard, they will steal our romance and affect our relationship with our spouse. So what are some foxes that can steal our romance? Number one, and this is so important in our culture today. You ready? Busyness. Busyness. You can have a husband and wife that are well-intentioned. They love each other. They're, they're committed to one another. They feel feelings of love for one another. But because of busyness, they're not cultivating that romance. And over time, if that's not addressed, busyness can cause a husband and wife to feel like they are ships just passing in the night. That they are not close because busyness has put a wedge between them. We live in a busy culture, right? Get up early in the morning, rush, 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 you know, out the door, you know, get kids to school, get to work, work hard, after school, extracurricular activities, you get home, you're exhausted, you pull in the, the garage, you close the garage door, you go inside, eat a quick bite, you collapse, you're asleep for the night, maybe on your couch or your chair, you're just so exhausted, and you get in the next morning and you do it all over again. And in that scenario, there's just no time for the husband and wife to focus on each other. And I'm telling you, business is affecting our culture it's certainly affecting our marriages. Things are busier than they've ever been. You add into that technology and its effect on our lives. And it is very easy, even if you're not intending to, it's very easy to let things crowd out your relationship with your spouse. And that busyness becomes a fox that spoils the vineyard, steals your romance. Let me give you another fox that can steal your romance. Stages of life. Stages of life. I, I, I'm learning that life consists of seasons. Have you learned that yet? And the season you're in feels like it's never going to come to an end. It's, it's going to be the lot for your life forever. But, but eventually that season comes to an end and a new season begins in your life. And that's true, certainly, with marriage. If we're not careful, we can, in the midst of the seasons of life, say, well, when this season's over, then I'm going to get serious about my spouse. Maybe you're in the, the, the baby years or the toddler years, and, and, and there's diapers to be changed and, and laundry to be done and, 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 and car seats and, and diaper bags and, and you know, sippy cups and, and all this stuff bottles and and you're like oh this is exhausting and when i get through this season then my wife and i will reconnect you ever been there the next season doesn't get any less busy does it you got toddlers and the poison control numbers up on your cabinet because you don't know what they're going to get into right and and uh and and they start getting involved in activities and and uh, and it just it just gets busy and and there's there's just no rest for the weary and you get them in bed at night and you're just exhausted right? Well maybe the, well after that next season we'll get real serious about each other and before you know it you get into the school years and in teenage years and 
there was that time when you put your kids to bed at you know seven thirty, eight o'clock at night, and it was like a mini date night every night because your kids were in bed and quiet. They get older, that that goes away, right? Kids get older, bedtimes get later, and you don't have that time together you used to have. But hey, we get to this season with with, with kids, then then we'll get serious about our our relationship with each other and. And, and, and then, what do you know, the kids grow up and they leave the home and it's like there's a stranger in your house. Empty nest. And you're struggling to just relate to your spouse because you haven't been cultivating romance for, for years. You've been so focused on your kids. And it's a, it's a weird adjustment, that empty nest stage. And well, this is kind of strange, so maybe it'll get better later on. And then you get all kind of other stages in life. Getting your kids through school or into a career, or helping them to get on the right path, and, and that can be exhausting. And then you get into career issues and things going on in your life and in your job, and, and, and maybe you need to you, you want to sell your house and buy a new house and do this and do that. And before you know it, it, just life is so busy and so frantic that you're not focusing on your spouse. But maybe when when things settle down, we'll we'll really focus on one another. And and, and then you get older and you have grandkids and. And now's the time, but of course grandkids make things busy as well. And, and, uh, and, and before you know it, you, you're dealing with aging parents and helping them. And, and you see what I'm saying? Seasons of life. Every season is busy. And if, and if you're waiting for a season of life to pass and another one to begin to focus on your spouse, you're going to keep putting it off. Because every season is challenging. Can I get an amen? And so you and I have got to decide my cultivation of romance is not going to be contingent upon the season of life that I'm in. Whatever season I'm in, I'm going to focus on my spouse first and foremost. Jesus, spouse, and then deal with the seasons of life as they come. Amen? The seasons of life can be a... A fox that steal away your romance. Let me give you another, uh, another uh, fox that can steal your romance. Assumptions. Assumptions. Again, the, the, the elderly gentleman, if, if something changes, I let her know. I love my wife. She ought to know that, right? My spouse ought to know that I care about them. But here's what's interesting. In the Song of Solomon, we see continual pursuit. Look in chapter 2, verse 9. My beloved is like a gazelle or young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gates into the windows, looking through the lattice. Verse 8, he comes leaping over the mountain. So she pictures her, her fiancé as this gazelle that's, that's running to, to pursue her and, and to love her. Then, after the marriage, and there's debate over when the actual marriage happens in Song of Solomon. Many scholars believe it happens in chapter 8. But after the marriage, look what happens in chapter 8, verse 14. The last verse, this is the woman speaking of the man. And again, this is after the marriage ceremony, after their wed. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Man, that's, 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 that's powerful. Just like you pursued me like a gazelle before we were married, keep being my gazelle. Keep jumping over the mountains and coming after me and pursuing me as your wife. For some reason, we struggle with this, don't we? Once we get married, we're like, okay, we're married. And we stop pursuing each other like we did before the marriage. 
And our spouse needs to be pursued. You need to be pursued so that you understand that you are still everything to your spouse. We should continually pursue our spouse. For some reason, the pursuit can end after the marriage ceremony is over. And that's not what Song of Solomon says. That's not what romance looks like. If you're going to cultivate romance, you're going to keep chasing your spouse dating and loving and spending time together and romancing that ought to be a part of our lives matt chandler says what marks our relationships as men and women husbands and wives is the ongoing pursuit of one another for the glory of god and our eternal joy and so you and i ought to be like roscoe on the dukes of hazard remember roscoe He'd be chasing the Duke brothers, and he'd say, I'm in what? Hot pursuit, right? I'm in hot pursuit. And you and I should be in hot pursuit of our spouse. There's another fox that can steal romance. And this fox is comparison. Comparison. And this is a really big deal today because of the rise of social media. The rise of social media. And we turn on Facebook. And by the way, you know what Facebook is, don't you? You're looking at everyone's greatest hits. Their best pictures. Their most enjoyable moments. Right? You're looking at their greatest hits. You're not looking at everyday life. You're looking at, at their greatest hits. You've heard me say this before. People don't put pictures of them up with a stomach bug at night on Facebook. Right? Greatest hits. So here's what can happen. We look at Facebook or whatever the social media outlet is, and we see, you know, this couple, and they look really happy, and we look at our own life and think, boy, I wish I could have that. They look a whole lot happier than we do. And, and, and before you know it, even if you don't intend to, there's this, there are these thought processes in your mind where you begin to compare your marriage to others instead of just focusing on your marriage and cultivating romance. You're thinking, oh, we, it could be better. It could be like that marriage or, or my spouse could be like that person. And that comparison can begin to take root in your heart and lead to bitterness and distance and separation. Instead of comparing your marriage to other marriages, just, just love your spouse and, and have fun together and, and enjoy your spouse. Don't get caught up in the, 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 the sin of comparison, which leads to the next fox that can steal your romance, and that's the grass is greener syndrome. You're comparing and you think, oh man, oh boy. If I just, you know, if I just was married to a person like that, my life would be better. In fact, let me look up my old high school sweetheart. See how they're doing. Before you know it, instead of a strong, committed, faithful marriage, your marriage is in severe jeopardy. Because of the grass is greener syndrome. I'm going to tell you something right now that's going to really going to help you. All right? I'm going to tell you this because I love you because I'm your pastor. You ready? And you don't hear this in media. You don't hear it from Hollywood. You don't hear it from 
folks that are well-known and famous, but here's what I want you to hear. Your soulmate is the person you're married to right now. The idea of that I, I miss my soulmate is straight from the pit of hell. You will not find that idea in the Bible at all. The person that you ought to pursue and enjoy and cultivate romance with is the person that you have a covenant relationship, your spouse. So this idea of I miss my soulmate or that person could be my soulmate, that, that's the grass is greener syndrome. And that's not going to do anything but spoil the vineyard of your relationship with your spouse. So don't get caught up in the, the grass is greener syndrome. That's not how God intends for us to live. He intends for us to pursue our spouse. That's who your soulmate is. You know why? Because you're married. That's who your soulmate is, period. I've heard some, even people that name the name of Christ, share some very disturbing thoughts about finding their soulmate, finding someone who wasn't their spouse as their soulmate. And uh, that is simply not a biblical statement. And so, what should we do? We should celebrate and cultivate Romance. Marriage is not simply bringing the boat in. Marriage is bringing the love boat in. Amen? It's, it's, it's to be enjoyed. It's to be fun. Romance to be cultivated. Now, now, keep that in mind. We're going to close with this verse. Turn back to, to Song of Solomon chapter 8, verse 6. This is the verse we started with. I want to show you how Romance will affect your marriage. This is the point of the sermon. You ready? Our marriages will be happier. Look in verse 8. I mean, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. We are sealed. We are in love. And if you have romance in your marriage, your marriage will be happier. It will be healthier. Look in verse 7. Many waters cannot quench Love. Neither can floods drown. That means that when the, the floods come, when hardship comes, when the tests of life come, and they will, your marriage will, will make it through those tests because you love each other. You're crazy about each other. Your marriage will be healthier. And then third, your marriage will be holier. Look in verse 6. Love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. As flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. In other words... It's right to be jealous with your spouse. Your spouse belongs to you and nobody else. Amen? And that's, that's holy jealousy. He calls it here the flame of the Lord. It's okay to be jealous about your spouse. No other person needs to be cozying up to your spouse. Can I get an amen? You cozy up to your spouse. It's called romance, right? Your marriage will be happier, healthier, and holier when we celebrate and cultivate romance.